I geek out about Excel formulas. I geek out about sharks. I geek out about Saturday morning cartoons. Hi, and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. Okay, we're ready. And go. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Felicia. And hi, Sarah. Hi, you guys. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> um, so we are here with Sarah Bolio, who is a longtime friend of She Geeks Out. And an ambassador. And an ambassador and, and lots of great things. Um, but also the founder of Conversation Inc. Yes. yes. Which is brand a new, new. Brand new. A brand new thing. Brand, I don't even have a website yet for Ooh. it. Oh, you don't? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wait, well, so, maybe by the time this is out, you will have a website. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. But let's talk about it. So tell us like who you are, what Conversation yeah. Inc. is, how you got yeah. here. And, and this is also, we should say, this is our second locker room talk, yes. which, which we're oh, that's of, true. a yes. bit of a different format. So we're yeah. going to sort of get into some heady conversation. Yes. Yeah. So, so the Conversation Inc. is focused on helping to make conversations about sexual violence mm-hmm. less uncomfortable, um, especially for men. So sort of with a focus on men, but um, really kind of anybody. I'm excited to, to talk to some cheeky gouters about yeah. uh, making conversations uh, less uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so this is kind of the next iteration of work that I've been doing for a long time on the issue of sexual yeah. violence, both as a survivor myself, but also um, as some somebody who kind of has worked in this space um, for a while. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got here. <laughs> and mic drop. And, 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 and we're done. And we're, this is how we're we make conversations go. not uncomfortable. Right. Exactly. So no. Well, I so know. so I'll give you like so this. So I actually was thinking about this too. So just sort of you know how like how do you, how did I become so passionate mm-hmm. about talking about sexual yeah, violence yeah. with like literally like everybody that I meet? Because, <laughs> because like honestly, it's one of the most difficult things to actually talk about. Well, and also I feel like people don't talk about it. No. Like, exactly. It's just, it's because like, it's so difficult. Well, not even difficult but just like it's like out of sight out of mind yeah kind of. yeah like people just too. don't think about it yeah so so i'll tell you so the very first conversation that i had about sexual violence was when i was 11 and it was when i told my mom that a family member was molesting me mm. so so that was like not my first sort of as i call like professional conversation about sexual violence. <laughs> really that wasn't <laughs> a professional real early. <laughs> but but it was a conversation that really taught me about the power of conversation right yeah. and sort of and the power of giving voice to something that has so much shame and stigma associated with it. And so I just remember even being as like an 11 year old, sort of watching how that one conversation really changed the trajectory of my life, of my family's life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, you know, of, of my relationship to, you know, to this issue. And so can we, can we, yeah. before you go any further, how was that conversation? You know, it, it was, it was direct, right? So I think it was, it was one of those, I mean, it was, you know, my, it, it had just happened. And so, so this is a story that I'm going to use public about. And, um, which is my, uh, my grandfather, he felt me up while my parents were out for a walk. And so at, sort of that night when I was going to bed, I, um, my mom was tucking me in and I looked at my mom and I said, Gramps did this today. And I reached up and I grabbed her breasts. Mm-hmm. And, and her, you know, sort of, she looked, I think kind of, you know, she looked as rightly so like in shock, um, and went out. And then there were sort of a series of conversations that I kind of wasn't privy to. Um, but there were sort of a series of conversations. Um, and, and that sort of started, as you might imagine, kind of changed the dynamic. And it sort of later came out that, you know, the, and that, 
there, that was not the sort of first or the last time that mm. I was sexually abused by my grandparents, but it was the first time that I told anybody about it. Oh, oh so they knew? No, it was the, the first time he, that, so it wasn't the first time that that had happened to me, but it was the first time oh. that I admit, disclosed. But did, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so what what made you decide to to say something at that point if that was not the first time? It I don't happened? know. I mean, I think it's, you know, thinking about, um, sort of looking back on it, I'm not sure sort of what made me say something, right? I mean, but but once I did, I kind of like couldn't stop talking about it. And so, you know, I, I you know, and and I don't I don't think it's like that for all survivors. And well, so it sounds like your your mom was really open to that like validating you versus being like, no, you must be making this up. Mm-hmm. Or- right. Yes. I think they absolutely I think I think both of my parents absolutely believed me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, it, you know, it's certainly a sort of a difficult thing to kind of handle in a, in a, uh, family dynamic. And, you know, there, you know, could be probably several hundred podcasts about sort of what that experience yeah, is like, but yeah. I think just from the conversation perspective, um, it, you know, it was for me that insight of like, wow, it, you know, if you give voice to this issue, it, it can actually be transformational mm-hmm. sort of both, at, you know, kind of at an individual level, but also at a family system level. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, so I, it was something that I continued to talk about. And so, you know, in, in high school, when I was sort of starting to really deal with some of the events that had happened even earlier than that, um, I, you know, I uh, would talk about it sort of like randomly and, and ended up actually making friends with a couple of girls in high school who had, were going through similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And, um, and together we sort of did our best to kind of support each other. But then the other thing that started happening is I just started getting really interested in like, what, like, why does this happen? Like, who right. do, like, who does that? <laughs> and, <laughs> and why, like, and why, why does it mess us up so bad? I mean, we were all like pretty much, you know, it's like we were, I was, you know, probably one of the more functional ones. Cause I just somehow could deal with what was going on and get good grades. Like no matter what was mm. happening in my life, I could still get good grades. You grade. didn't start like doing drugs. I didn't start doing, I wore, an, I wore a lot of hairspray <laughs> and ran with a bad crowd. Do you think it's because your parents were supportive of you? I think, I think being believed yeah. was really, I think that being believed is really, um, is really important. That's really powerful. Yeah. And really, and, and, and that I think is like, you know, sort of the, the most important thing in any conversation about yeah. sexual violence is to believe is to believe the person yeah. and to not underestimate that just sort of like simply believing that that happened, you know, to somebody is, yeah. is like a really powerful mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I kind of started like organizing people's like, so I had this high school English teacher that I found annoying. Okay. And so we read the catcher in the rye and there's mm. the scene in the catcher in the rye where like the te- like one of the teachers gets kind of like creepy with one of his students. Mm. And so my friend and I who decided to or- like we decided to take over the lesson plan for the next day. And wow. so we like stayed up really late and sort of like researched all of this stuff about sort of like definitions of, of sexual abuse and consent and like wrote this whole like two page document. And then when our teacher came in thinking that he was going to like teach the class about the catcher and the rye, we said, actually today we're going to talk about sexual assault and we <laughs> handed out our two pager. Oh my God. And how did that go over? <laughs> he liked us. I mean, I feel like as from the teaching standpoint, he probably was like, great, teach yeah, my right. class, like yeah, go yeah, for it. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Like, I guess I'm going to just go home. And so, you know, that was actually, I think, so that's was probably one of my first like professional conversations about, uh, about sexual, about sexual violence. And that was something that, that continued for me, you know, through, through college. So because it was such an important part of my identity, 
I just kind of hated telling people. Like I felt like anybody who knew me and was in my circle like needed to know this piece of information about me. Mm. Um, but I didn't particularly like having to tell them. So that was kind of my primary motivation for become starting to become more public about. Mm. You know, so in college I was very public. I spoke at Take Back the Night. Um, you know, I was sort of like begged them to put my full name in the newspaper so that I would <laughs> never have to go on an awkward first date again <laughs> oh <my laughs> and let somebody know. You know, and and I was in the middle of a you know sort of really intensive kind of healing and recovery process, which I think is also you know I was really lucky and fortunate and privileged as a survivor of sexual violence. I think, as you said, to have you know a family who believed me um, and did their best to help me, and I you know and then to be able to get access and pay for the kind of help and healing mm. that I you know that I needed at the time. But then but then what happened after that was actually interesting, right? Is is that so? I graduated from um, from Brown. Uh, and I started a career in fundraising. And mm-hmm. so I worked in higher education fundraising. Uh, I worked there. I worked at Boston College. And then I landed at this organization called Be the Change, where we ran these cross-sector issue-based campaigns. And I'm cr- literally like crisscrossing the country, meeting with nonprofit leaders, meeting your husband, <laughs> <laughs> meeting all these people. Um, and you know, and so about 10 or 15 years went by, and I realized that all of a sudden I kind of was back in the closet as a survivor, mm. right? Is that I was, you know, I was interacting with all of these people who sort of cared deeply about the world, who were sort of very mission-driven, yet nobody knew I was a survivor, and no, the topic of sexual violence never came up. Huh. And so it was sort of that coupled with, you know, I think sort of coming into my identity as as a mom and also having like a boss sort of like kick me in the butt. Like he was leaving the organization. He was like, if you want to do work on this issue, he's like, you should just start doing it. And so I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then I start. And so I just started talking to people about mm-hmm. sort of in my professional network about sexual violence and being really curious about what what makes it so uncomfortable to talk about. Well, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how did you actually start those conversations? Was it like you just walk up in a cocktail like, party hey, and be like, hey, so sexual I'm, violence, so, <laughs> what like, about how, it? <laughs> so, you know, so a couple of ways. So one is I started, um, so I joined the board of the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center. And mm-hmm. so uh, you know, sort of that felt like a part of my professional identity that I could talk about. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you've said the word rape, like when you're introducing yeah. me, right? Well, it's, <laughs> and it's like a signal, right? Right, Like exactly. it's an entryway to that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's like the signaling is actually in my mind sort of like the, you know, I think sometimes you think you're going to have a conversation about sexual violence and it's going to be some like deep, intense conversation. Like I wasn't plan. I mean, I'm fine talking about my sort of personal experience, like as a survivor, but like, that's only one kind of conversation about sexual violence. Um, and, and in terms of my identity as a survivor, it's only one very small part of like what Mm. that's like. It's more, you know, the, the, what the incident of what happened is one part of it, but really sort of like everything that happens after that and how survivors interact with the world around them, I think is like, is is so much bigger. Um, So, so there was that, you know, I, I started talking, you know, identifying as a survivor. Um, you know, I, I was re- that something that you had identified as before? Um, yeah, but it's, I never identified as a survivor in a, in a professional setting. Okay. Right. And so it would, you know, it would be, I kind of would like drop it into conversation. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, so for example, I could say, you know, I might say something like, you know, while I'm on the board of the Boston area rape crisis center, which is something really important to me, you know, as a survivor of sexual mm-hmm. violence myself, mm-hmm. I didn't have an organization like that mm-hmm. in the community where I grew up. Right. Yeah. So it's sort of like figuring out a bunch of different kind of like hooks and signals and like breadcrumbs that you can kind of drop in right. that, 
you know, again, because I, you know, the way that I was thinking about it is, is like in every room that I went in, you know, one in four women and one in six men are, are, you know, will be sexually abused or assaulted. So that it's like, how was I being complicit in that silence Mm. and that shame and that stigma by sort of not being out and, and recognizing and owning my privilege, right? About that is that it's, you know, I'm privileged because I have a strong family system. I've got good, you know, sort of good supports in place. I got the help that I needed when I needed it. Um, so I had the sort of emotional reserves to do it. And I didn't have anything to lose really at that point. Right. Um, and so sort of like, why not? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like there were like 15 things I actually wanted to say at the time. And now I'm like, I'm just blown away by, um, by what you were talking about. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we were just talking about before, which is your experience, like your lens of the world. And so we had this experience one time we were coming back from, I think it was an SGO event or an ambassador meeting or something, or I ran into you on the tee. And, um, and we're, we're on the tee and we're talking and, um, all of a sudden you got up and you like sort of talked to this guy. I want to use the word accosted a little bit. <laughs> Cause it, you know, you sort of went up to him and you were like, Hey, are, are you, are you using your camera? Like, are you, and then you went up to the girl, the, woman that yeah. was on our side and was like, Hey, do you know that this guy is like filming you? And, and you like, and it was, and he's like, I'm, I'm just playing Pokemon go, which <laughs> who knew. Right. But you I had said, this sorry. Camera, and you said, sorry. <laughs> and it, it was such an interesting experience. It's like stuck with me because it's such a completely different lens with which you see the world compared to the way I see it. Yeah. I get worried when a guy, when I'm sitting and a guy is just pointing his phone at my head because I'm going to get cancer. That's what I'm more worried about. <laughs> like, I don't cancer. even... I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is a very... So, like, the way you navigate the world, I think, is right. very unique. Yeah. And so well, I But maybe I think the point is it's not necessarily unique, but the, it fact, that you're, unique but the fact that you are... Um, that you, I, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say like open about it, but you know, um, publicly speaking out about it versus someone else who might have the same exact lens and experience mm. in that, like with that particular situation, but may not have said anything. Well, yeah. and also I've had a lot of practice, right? So it's like, so yeah. how many times have you talked to somebody who was engaging in troubling behavior? Like, not, okay, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So it's like I've done it a lot, so yeah. it's like it's easier for me to do it. But it's but it's not that I'm like special or that I have some sort of like magical like power. No, it's just that I practiced it more. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it, it's I just feel like it's just it's a kind of courage that. But there's that. But then it's that part. But also just like seeing it. I think that's what you were getting yeah. into that there are other people who see it and there are people right. like me who don't see it at all who have well, like no where if we were just saying this before we got on the thing where it's like we're not we're not actually paying attention to you know other people's it's not it's out of sight out of mind is is what you were mm-hmm. saying before which is the way i feel like there's some people that you know whatever three quarters of us feel this way, right? When you say one and four, one and right. six, and then right. there's like the rest of us who are like completely oblivious to this whole world. Right. So ha- I guess my question is, is how do you engage the people who are three fourths? I would say three fourths. I would say me. How to be engaged. How to engage. Is that what you're asking? How yeah. to engage me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one, I would challenge the idea that, that three fourths of people are not engaged in this issue, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, you know, if, if you think about, I think there are a significant number of people who have, uh, you know, a close friend or, uh, you know, and I think this has been my experience talking with and interviewing men as well, which is that, 
um, you know, one in six men are are survivors themselves, but right. you know, which is a, a smaller number. But you know, almost every you know man that I've talked to has had some kind of encounter with a survivor mm-hmm. in his life that has impacted him in some mm-hmm. way, right? And so. Um, you know, so I think, I think there's certainly, yes, is that there are sort of people who are, have not had this as a personal experience can kind of walk through life and not think about it as, you know, similarly, like if you have a disability or if you're not gay or if you're, you know, if you're not a person of color, that there are sort of ways that you can kind of ignore it. And I think there is something about sexual violence where it's, you know, one as a culture, we don't like to talk about sex, right. It's sort of like that falls into the kind of, even though we're both to it all the time all the through time. the media. Yeah. Uh, we just don't want to have any direct conversations about it. <laughs> um, you know, and I think there's, you know, I think that people have a lot of myths and misperceptions about survivors, about the issue, about, you know, uh, you know, all the images that we're presented with about sexual violence, I think mm. are typically about incidents of sexual violence and typically incidents with a sort of male perpetrator and a female victim. Yeah, I actually, I wanted to ask a little bit more in this sort of line mm-hmm. of, of um, talking where how how do you define sexual violence? Because I'm imagining that um, most people are probably thinking of like yeah. male perpetrator, female victim, rape, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's a much broader spectrum than that. Yeah. But, um, you know, what does it cover? You know, is it something like, for, as for example, as women, like I would say probably 99% of us have had experiences with like being followed down the street or cat mm-hmm. called or like, you know, how does that play into it? Like, like where does the spectrum yeah. lie? Right. Well, I, I think for the, purposes of the work that I do, what I tend to focus on is is combining sexual abuse and sexual assault into sort of a single conversation. Mm-hmm. So sort of unwanted sexual contact at okay. any age, right? Okay. Um, you know, and sex with, you know, sort of sexual contact without consent. Um, mm-hmm. So consent obviously needs to be sort of freely given if you are not of age, if you are intoxicated, if you are, right. you know, there's sort of a number of reasons where, where you cannot sort of freely give consent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that tends to be the way, the way that I talk about it. And I also sort of try, you know, sort of talk about, um, you know, it's like, what is the opposite, like sort of what is the opposite of a culture of shame and blame, right? So sort of if we have a, a culture where our tendency is to shame people and blame people, that we're not creating a culture, like that's that's what allows sexual violence to take place, right? So and harassment and sort of, you know, pa- you know mm. sort of different kinds of oppression mm. based on various kinds of things, right? And so, but I think I tend to focus on the the unwanted sexual contact part because I think it is really it's really unco- I mean it's uncomfortable yeah um, it it and and that by getting better at talking about those things it actually I think will make pe- you know sort of makes people better talking about things like harassment yeah. and well because one of the things that I find really frustrating um, just in general and I'm curious to sort of hear your thoughts on this but um, a lot of times especially in like journalism and and media when there are incidences you'll see. Um, the phrase sexually assaulted. And I'm always like, why don't we just say what happened? Because like, if it was rape, let's just say rape, if it was contact or like whatever, because that's such a like generic term. And, you know, and I feel like I, in my experience, I almost feel like it kind of downplays these incidences that are happening because people don't actually know what it means. Do I mean? Yeah. And so I've always felt like if, someone like you know if it says like so-and-so like was molested or sexually assaulted like just say what it is because even though it might be and this i think leads right back to what you were talking about or what you will talk about um it might be uncomfortable but maybe we should be forcing ourselves to face this reality right well 
Yes. I mean, and, and I, I think that it's like there are some variations about sort of what the legal definitions mm. of some of those words are. I mean, I think the the word, uh, one of the facts that I found interesting kind of learning about this issue is that until 2012, the federal definition of rape was a was unwanted insertion of a penis. Huh. So oh, that- Very so, specific. Yeah. So that it was, it's a very, you know, rape can be interpreted as a very gendered word. Right. Um. And, you know, and, and sexual assault is a little bit more sort of all encompassing. And so, and, you know, and sometimes sexual assault makes you think that it's an adult, it doesn't necessarily have to be an adult. And so, yeah. um, mm. so, I mean, but I think it's, I think we should absolutely be having more conversations about these words and what they mean, right? I think there was one head, you know, headline I saw recently that was just that they actually, the newspaper corrected, um, is it said, you know, a teacher accused of having a sexual relationship with a student mm. and and the paper was called out for saying it says basically that that is sexually assaulting a student yeah <laughs> that's not a, that's that's not right. a sexual that's relationship right. <laughs> right that's an abusive that is this, an abusive power not, and that is actually yeah. the definition right. of of sexual exactly. sexual assault and so call it that um but you know but i think again it's you know that that talking about the the incidences of sexual violence themselves, it, you know, is, you know, so some of the other areas that I've talked about sort of, you know, so like I went through the, um, I had got, I had to get a pat down search mm. at, uh, when I was going through, uh, getting on a flight mm-hmm. and, um, and I, you know, it was like, I went through, I was wearing some shirt that set it off. It was right over my breast and I, I said, like, can I go through again? I'm like, I'm a sexual assault survivor. Like, I would prefer not to have a pat down search, like, of this area. And they said no. And oh, really? Yeah. But and so then I escalated it to the manager, and they still said no. Um, so I got the pat down search. the The TSA agent who was doing the pat down search felt terrible. But I yeah. mean, she had just basically been directed by her boss to do it. And, you know, and I, and I, you know, I understand the sort of like the balance between public, you know, sort of public safety, but it's like, you know, how do you think about public safety without traumatizing others? So, you know, so the way that I responded to that is I wrote a cognoscenti piece on it. Nice. <laughs> and to just give voice to it. Right? right. Because I think, and it was something where the, you know, I don't think the TSA was not considering survivors of sexual violence sort of as a constituency within their organization. Well, they pat down kids. I mean, they're well, out right. of control. Yeah, I mean, a TSA is like not a great example, but yeah. it's, you know, to think of, you know, the, the lots of other kinds of examples as well. So mm. it's, you know, how do doctors think about, you know, mm. the, the way that they deliver care yeah. in a way that is trauma and you know, being trauma informed in your approach to anything mm. doesn't hurt people who haven't had trauma, right? right. Like it's not going to make your experience, Rachel, nope. like any worse, right? <laughs> like your doctor's oh, office. No. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm like, I, and I'm actually, we talk about TSA. I'm, before pre-check happened, I always got the pat down because going back to cancer, I rather, would rather <laughs> get the pat down than go through the then x-ray machine. <laughs> right. But that's, that, you know, that's your, that's your choice. You're crazy. consenting to, you know, it's yeah. like you're consenting to it. And yeah. Um, can, can we talk more about the shame and blame stuff? Yeah. Cause I remember we, we, at a coffee shop, we talked a little bit about this and, and I thought it was a really interesting point that you made. I just want to, can you expand on that a bit? Yep. So, I mean, so the way that I think about this, I mean, it's just, again, it's about sort of, 
pulling out some of the strands of conversation and like lengthening them because it's like, these are, you know, these are conversations that, that need to be longer and more in depth and not sort of headline level. Right. right? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about my experience as a, as a survivor, right. So it's like a lot of times you talk about the statistics around people being sexually assaulted by somebody that they know. Right. Mm -hmm. So in my case, I was, you know, sexually abused by both of my grandparents, actually. Um, and I was also date raped by a high school friend. And so, so in those cases, sort of like, it's not like people, you know, it's people that you love, that you trust, that you have welcomed into your life in some way. And so, you know, sometimes it's helpful for me to hear, you know, like, that person's like a total horrible monster. But it's, you know, that's complicated mm. for me. It's that it's, you know, it's like, yes, they are. That's, there's also my, those are also the only grandparents that I had, mm. like, you know, it's, and, and I, there were things that I loved and liked about them. And, and, and then if, if they're monsters, then maybe there's something wrong with me because mm. I trusted them so much. Mm. Like if I can't recognize like who a monster is, mm. then like, what's wrong with me? Right. Oh and, you know, gosh, and then yeah. we kind of go and say like, you know, then we go uh, sort of from a broader perspective you know, when it comes to the issue of sexual violence, like who's to blame? Well, men are to blame. Right. And, and that is the part of the blame conversation that I think is, is really unhelpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think about, yes, you know, A, I had male and female perpetrators, right? I think it's like facts that we cannot avoid. Mm -hmm. Men and women are survivors. Men and women are perpetrators. You are much more likely to encounter a male survivor than you are a male perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Um, it, but but you wouldn't think and that, that. fact alone is yeah. kind of my like we just like sit with that for yeah, a second seriously. because I never thought about that before. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, so like one of the one of the like anecdotes I like to give on that sort of like if you filled a football stadium with sixty thousand men, you would be sitting among thirteen thousand survivors of sexual violence and twenty nine hundred perpetrators. Wow. So just it's like to just think about that in terms of the way that you talk about the issue of sexual violence, yeah. the, the assumptions you make about where people are coming from. Right. And it's and maybe there is this perception. Well, there, for sure, there is this perception because men are much more likely to talk about grabbing pussy than they are that, that they've been sexually assaulted. So, <laughs> right. Well, or or not, or the ones who are talking about, you know, it's like the ones who are talking about that have the loudest voices. Right. And yeah. that, and that that's Absolutely. on all of us. Yeah. To, well, and also like, especially true. with these conversations, men or women or both, whatever, um, it's, it's not visible. Right. So, right. you know, when we are talking about other things like, um, you know, race, ethnicity, ability, like sometimes it's very, Age. very visible, yeah. but a lot of times there's all this stuff that's not visible. Right. And I think that makes it harder, you know, in a sense, if you don't have people who are like you, Sarah, where you're being much more vocal and open right. about it, because it's so much easier to hide. Right. You know? Especially there's, I mean, for men, I mean, I, it's hard to imagine a man mm. being comfortable saying I was sexually assaulted in the culture that we And most in. of them wait a very, very long time. It's, you know, I was gonna say, do people, do they, I mean, like, I, what are the percentages? I mean, it's, talk about it <laughs> I, I mean i we had a, a great training at a, at a board meeting with bark and their clinician that works with a lot of the male survivors said that it typically takes men like 10 years longer oh, wow. to seek help mm. um and and you'll frequently so frequently it's like you're interacting with somebody who's like dealing with alcoholism or addiction mm. or you know sort of lots of failed relationships or sort of like can't seem to get their life together and it's you know that that it's after they deal with that issue that mm. the sort of 
comes up, comes up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so your, your goal for this new nonprofit that you mm-hmm. are forming is to really talk with men primarily. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's to really build out some targeted content to men. Cause so it's, you know, so what I learned sort of doing, um, you know, sort of doing this work is that, that there's not a lot of content out there for the, the men who there's, there's content about how to teach you how not to be a rapist, right? There's content about how you sort of help if you're a survivor, you know, male or female, right? Right. I think Bark does a great job of being inclusive of both sort of male and female survivors. And I think there's some stuff that's more sort of geared towards like kind of social justice activists, but you kind of like already need to be in that space in order Mm -hmm. to find it and access it. And so, so, and the other thing that I've learned is that in talking to men is that like what they really want, right? So sort of, you know, is one is like having this mindset of like, you just want to put the facts out there, drop the blame and game, you know, the, the blame game. You've got to create a conversation about why it's okay to be uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. it's like lower the expectation. Mm-hmm. I know you've said to me, you're like, why? Well, I, I don't want to talk about this because I'm going to do it wrong. Where it's just, you lower that right. expectation. Like, oh, well, court, like, well, just it's, this is about practice. It's not yeah. about like right or wrong, right? right? And so. Like, I don't want to offend you. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, no, it's not about, it's not about like getting graded or anything. It's about hurting somebody's feelings or, yeah. you know, just mostly that actually. Okay. That's, that's where right. it's coming from. But I'm pretty sure that like nothing that you, that would come out of your mouth. I mean, it's, if you say the wrong thing, say you're sorry and then yeah. say something else. There's actually a great thing. And you can, you can actually have the exact same conversation about race too, yep. as, as a white person talking to someone of color. And, um, dude, there's this comic, JB Smooth, you know, they're talking no. about, <laughs> I hope I don't mess this up. See, um, but it'll be okay. Uh, it's okay. Right. Okay. Well, he talks. He, he so he talks about how when when white people talk about it, it's like having something stuck in your teeth. Like it's okay. Like talk. It's okay to talk about it. Like right. It's okay to yeah. say. Yeah. 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 That was not exactly the right thing. Yeah. To say. Just but, try again. Yeah. But just, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but where? But so so that what you're that that feeling that you're talking about is sort of is exactly what I'm trying to address. So the sort of the main thing that I'm doing through this nonprofit project is is to create a robust library of videos. Um, so I've done about 12 with a friend of mine awesome. um, from New York, the friend I talk about in my TEDx talk, Russ, he's amazing. And so, you know, we there are things like um, how to respond to a friend, uh, you know, how to respond to a disclosure of sexual violence on a date, on a walk, both mm. male survivors and female survivors. Mm. We're doing some edgier ones like how to get drunk and not rape somebody. (laughs) Many, 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 many ways to do that. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Say goodnight, put a blanket on them, walk away. Like, I mean, it's like the difference between like a, you know, a rapist and a not a rapist is, but, but by normalizing some of those conversations, like I want to do some on how do you know you have consent when you're having sex? Right. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, uh, the, uh, like this is stuff that should be like being taught in like sex ed. Right. Yeah, schools, but you have to talk but about it's sex not. In order to- it's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I love it all, but I wanted to also talk a little bit more. So we've been talking about like male and female survivors, perpetrators, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But can we also maybe talk a little bit about the trans community and like um, how have you seen that playing in? Is there different considerations to be thinking about? Yeah, um, I mean, I think you know rates of you know, so sexual violence impacts everybody. Rates of sexual violence are you know higher among certain populations. Yeah, trans being yeah, one of those populations, exactly. and so you know again, I think it's just it's sort of normalizing 
conversations in particular communities. And I think there's, you know, some great, uh, the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center does some great work around sort of trans survivors as well as your trans awareness. And Mm so, um, you know, and again, sort of very well. you're on the board. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Um, So, you know, so I think it's, you know, and and just like, you know, to back up, I mean, I do want to just say a little bit about, because I think, you know, one way to start to get involved in the issue of sexual mm-hmm. violence. So I'm excited that we're doing a little She Geeks Out yeah. walk team for the the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center's annual Walk for Change. And it'll be uh, in a few weeks from when this comes yeah, out. Exactly. So. And so so that I think is, it's, you know, in, in the Boston area, it's the biggest event that is an opportunity to stand with and for survivors. Mm-hmm. So it is like, you, you know, showing up is a door opener, right? right? Showing up is a signal. Saying on Facebook that you're interested or that you're going is a signal that this is sort of something that you're interested in talking about. And and organizations mm. like Bark are such a critical resource to yeah. survivors. So you know, I did not. There was not a Bark for me in the community that I grew up in. Mm. But what they do is that they provide uh, a 24 hour a day, seven days a week hotline um, that anybody can call at any time. So not just survivors, but it's like let's say a friend called you and mm-hmm. said you know, I'm really struggling with this, but you know, it's, I was like raped in college and you know, my boyfriend just said something to me and it's like freaking me out. And Mm. you're like, I don't know how to respond. It's like, so bark is Mm. like, bark is there for the loved ones, there for partners, there for survivors, Mm. there for the community. Um, how long has it been around for 40 years? Wow. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think 40 years, one of, I think one of the least recognized and appreciated organizations, um, in the community, Mm. just in terms of the kind of amount of critical support that they provide. So they answered 4,000 hotline calls. So every time you see like a Brock Turner headline calls to bark, go up. Mm. Wow. So it's, you know, and so it's, you know, so it's one of, I was thinking about it as like, it's kind of like the NPR thing. So it's like, if you, if, if you're listening to NPR, (laughs) Maybe you should make a donation. <laughs> so it's like, like, you know, if, if you recognize that this is an organization that's sort of providing kind of free and confidential counseling. So they do short term crisis counseling. They run a bunch of groups, not just for survivors, but for survivors partners. Um, if you are sexually assaulted and you go to one of the area hospitals, um, they will engage another a medical advocate from mm-hmm. Bark. They do legal advocacy and they do a ton of sort of community awareness and outreach. Um, and is- they do it all like, for because because it's part of their mission. Mm-hmm. Is this? Do you know if other cities are pretty much in the same boat? They, there's one of these fabulous nonprofits everywhere. Or? Well, so there are about 400 uh, or uh, you know, so a rape crisis center. Uh, there's there's some conversation about what that definition of a rape yeah. crisis. So there are a lot of different kinds of sexual assault prevention and response programs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a comprehensive rape crisis center is an organization that does the services to. S- uh, survivors and then integrates those services into their community awareness mm. and prevention work. Right. So it's like, so, and that's a kind of, that's an important perspective yeah. and an important perspective in the field. Um, so there are, you know, Bark is actually one of the largest rape crisis centers in the country um, and has been around for the longest. Their budget mm. is only about $3 million. Oh, wow. wow. Right. So this is like, just to give you a sense of sort of how under-resourced yeah. this field is and like why, Every additional person that like shows up at for a walk for change or their other big event that they do in the fall is like is critically important to wow. sort of to this, you know, this resource that doesn't get funded in other ways. Cleveland has a has a big one, um, you know, but they tend to be sort of, you know, smaller kind of real grassroots kind right. of organizations. Um, it's just so crazy considering yeah. how many people are affected by it. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, but I think it's, you know, there's I think there's, all you know, again, it's another reason why creating a comfort level of 
talking about sex. Like, so, you know, if you think about it, it's like, so if you two show up at the walk for change, that's going to give you about sort of like six months worth of conversations about sexual violence Mm -hmm. that just lets people know that it's, you know, I'm a safe person that, that you can talk to about this issue. You're sort of like your whole self and experience and identity is welcome here in Mm -hmm. a relationship with me at my organization. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's giving you something like tangible and actionable to kind of do. And so I think it's, it's funny because with this issue, it's those like small conversations and those small things that help. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I'm focused on through this video series Mm -hmm. is just, it's people want, to hear the words, right? And mm-hmm. to have the practice. So it's like, how do you give people the practice? Just because right. you sort of get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like you're going to definitely say something wrong, mm-hmm. or yeah. you're going to say something that's going to upset, you know, upset someone. Or what if they think I'm a survivor of sexual violence because I brought it up? Well, it's like, you know, well, if you're is not, is that so bad? Is that so bad? <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. You know, or yeah. is you know, it, it shouldn't the burden shouldn't be on survivors to to sort of make this issue visible. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're dealing with enough. That's true. So it's about <laughs> us being allies and being able yeah. to help out. So this is an incredible undertaking. I mean, starting a nonprofit is uh, incredibly difficult. And in fact, I know several people who say that's the worst idea ever is to start a nonprofit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. They're like, do a world a favor. Don't start a nonprofit. I literally just saw an article that said that. That said, what you're doing is super important. So you should totally do it. And yes. I'm wondering, are you going to have uh, any sort of particular relationship with Barks since you are on the board and you're doing this? Is it like, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, it's all kind of in the process, you know, sort of evolving and and evolving and lots of kind of different conversations happening. And so I think, you know, I think I'll have a better sense kind of after this first video campaign really sort of what the, the use and focus is. Yeah. And what's, what's the timeline for the, for the video series? So the, the timeline for the video series is, um, is I'm trying to get kind of a set of partners committed in the next probably two to three months, Mm -hmm. um, so that we can release the first set of videos this summer, which would be in time for kind of back to school Mm. trainings. And, you know, you know, particularly in kind of college campuses, there are a lot of, you know, fall. Yeah trainings. Yeah. And I was going to ask, so with the videos, obviously I'm assuming they'll be available to anyone who goes to the site, but they're just going to be, it's just going to be a YouTube channel and you can go find me. It's, um, you know, Sarah will you. Oh yeah. We're going to, yeah, we're going to link you up, link you all link it up, but but coach, I mean, they're right now just right on my YouTube channel (laughs) and eventually I'll figure out how to have a branded channel. But, um, but (laughs) will they, is there like a particular focus on like college age men young men so i'm looking at millennial men so sort of high school college recent college graduates well we just learned that millennials actually are currently 20 to 20 and up 20 20 so then you'll also have to expand it to digital natives so (laughs) digital generation generation z z yeah 15 to 25 year olds. That's so much easier. To oh my God. Whatever they're currently <laughs> being called. <laughs> High school and college students. Okay, great. Yeah. So it's like, so what, I mean, what got me interested in this? I mean, I think there've been a bunch of like really interesting, sort of big, like, corporate PSA campaigns on bystander engagement, you know, like a ton of stuff that I think is really important, valuable work. But, but when I'm thinking about like, how do you get to 15 to 25 year olds is it, I'm thinking like YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You are right. I'm thinking like YouTube celebrity style. Yeah. Do you you have any in mind? 
I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking I'm going to just create a celeb, I'm going to create a viral YouTube oh, channel that and make a celebrity. only talks about sexual violence. Not get Kendall Jenner, I'll tell you right now. She's well, are you going to be partnering with any like 15 to 25 year old yeah. men to actually help roll this out? Um, yeah. So that's actually part of what I've been doing. So, so when, so last fall I did a, a TEDx talk at TEDx Beacon Street that sort of really kind of summarized what I've learned talking we'll to men. We'll be linking about. to that as well. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> what I've learned about about talking to men about sexual violence. Mm-hmm. And and I used that talk to do a series of events with uh, mostly fraternities and mm-hmm. uh, men in fraternities. And so a lot of this sort of content that I'm now trying to develop is based on those discussions and conversations. Um, and, the, and just the sort of un, the realization that that young men have all these practical questions. Like, you know, my friend was sexually assaulted and like, what do we do when we see the perpetrator on campus? Like, yeah. What valid do I, and like, right. Like, li- but yeah. not like, how should I think about it? Like, but it's, it's like, like what literally do do? what should like, I do? What do I do? Yeah. Right. And so, and what's the answer? And there could be a bunch of answers. You're like, come to the YouTube channel. The <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, that's the thing is like with any of this stuff is that there's no one right answer, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it depends. Like, and that's why, I, you know, I could do 25 videos just, just on, on how to walk by your perpetrator and, you know, your friend's perpetrator on campus. <laughs> well, and it's also so interesting because I feel like. I would say punching them is not the right. It's <laughs> Thank not you. It's just an answer. Just trying to give some right guidance answer. to people who are listening. <laughs> but I feel like when you do talk about sexual assault and sexual violence on college campuses, um, looking at the wide range of responses that colleges have towards this issue where some, you know, have really sort of standardized um, and, and you know, real processes to follow. Others try to sweep it under the rug. Like we know right. this is an immediate yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, does that also play into sort of the response when you have people asking these kinds of questions? Because it's not just about them individually, but it's also about what are their resources that they have available right. to them? Yeah. Well, I think that the, you know, the other idea for this is that it's like this ends up being just like an open source mm. kind of it's helping, you know, and it's helping to make sexual assault prevention and awareness training scalable mm-hmm. because the model, because, you know, what you're saying is that depending on what campus you're in or what fraternity you're in or the coach for your sports team, yeah, yeah. you might be getting, you know, you might be getting great education about being an engaged bystander or you might be getting nothing or right. you might be getting, you know, something that's mediocre, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, um, you know, so this is really a way, you know, to supplement that. Um, and it's it and it's also a way to counter some of the silence on this issue in the media and some of the mm-hmm. polarization around this issue mm-hmm. on the media, yeah. right? So I think there's not a lot of shareable, useful content that's coming out of the media that, you know, it's like you get a lot of oh, this case happened and it's like so terrible and everybody, you know, it's yeah. like that's po- like lots of like polarizing right. conversations, right. less practical, ad- like right. practical advice. And yeah. like, yeah. yeah, so it's like how to support a friend who's a survivor. Yeah. You know, how, you know, what to do if somebody tells you they're a survivor on a date, you know, how how to talk about consent with your partner, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, uh, so mm-hmm. it's, and getting those things out there, it's like you can't just, you know, the way that the world works is like, it's about creating themes of conversation and, you know, to help in influence all the stuff that people are being presented with yeah porn you know yeah uh, you know n- negative attitudes about w- relationships like no examination of your know, sort of healthy relationships and yeah. you know and lots of different media mm-hmm. that people are watching video games i mean it's like well, you're these are not places that you're going to learn about how to have 
conversations that are important in your life. Like yeah, parents, you know, and if you think about it, it's, you know, people who are in their sort of forties and fifties did not get tr- educated on this. They have no practice right. on this. So it's how do you get the right kind of, you know, it's like people need to practice and they need to practice lots of times. The best way to practice, you know, it's like to show, show somebody how to have a 60 to 90 second conversation that's yep. doable, like that you're like, oh yeah, like I, you know, that makes sense. Like yeah. I could do that. Or like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. Love it. Yeah. Even just being like, oh, I can use that language. Right. If I exactly. Have, if I have this situation exactly. arise. Will it just be videos or will there be other kinds of content? Right now I'm just thinking videos, okay. but you guys are really smart. So whatever <laughs> I mean, your the, ideas the, well, are. The reason, the reason I was asking is because, I mean, first of all, I think both Rachel and I are in complete agreement that video is like the way to go. Um, but what has been coming to mind as we've been having this conversation is um, the website Scarletine. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like and a so sex it's definitely, positive. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's definitely like it's not the same sort of area, but it's similar in a sense. It's obviously geared – well, not obviously, but it is geared towards girls. Right. Um, and it's basically the idea is how do you have conversations around things like sex and have it be positive yeah. and answer real questions and, yes. you know, have these – like it's designed, I think, to supplement the lack of sex education and yes. have it be really yep. useful. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of in my mind where I was like, not only could it potentially be these videos, but then also like, you know, maybe other types of content where someone like a young man could go to this, to your, right. your um, yep. nonprofit and your site and, and get resources on how yep. to be like a decent human being. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I think it's a little bit of the sort of, I, I would like to build that myself. I've also been really interested in sort of how you take this to platform, like, how could I get Barstool Sports to talk about yeah. sexual violence? How yeah. could I get SB Nation to do something practical on sexual violence? I, I've written a, I've written for Ask Men, which is a, a great yeah. Canadian-based website. And they've been super like, – I mean, their editor has been super receptive to all of my pitches about – I mean, they actually had reached out to me about writing you know, a, a sort of longer piece on what is sexual consent, which they now have on their site. Okay. And yeah. That's great. And maybe there's a way to do a regular column. Right. That's actually has – is a, – a, a mutual friend of ours had that same idea. Oh, so like, uh, ask Sarah. <laughs> ask Sarah. Yeah, I think that's a great yeah. idea. And ask, you know, start a podcast. Ask me all your questions. Yeah. 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 So, well, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate yes. and it's so exciting. Yes. I'm really excited. Thank you. For and you. thank you guys for making space for this conversation. Absolutely. About, yeah. Not only what we're doing, but also very specifically the locker room talk series. Yeah. Like, yes. And, you know, it's not always going to be about like, <laughs> lady parts and sex and all that stuff. So we'll be talking about other topics too, but this is only our second important. one. The first one was about your period, and now and then now sexual <laughs> violence. Right. So, like our next one's going to be about so like pregnancy. Hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to keep it light, um, but you know, in all seriousness, like it is important to have these spaces. Absolutely. We yes. don't have a lot of them, and, yeah. and so that's why we're really invested in yep. in carving this out. Yeah, so. and we're and um yeah, so we're actually the day that this uh this podcast um episode goes live is the same eve- day that we're having a talk with you, Sarah, um, at, at 50 Milk Street. So um, we encourage people to let us know um, by noon. <laughs> So, you mean, you mean so we can give you assuming a that they're secure, listening like they're at list- 9 a.m. at 9 a.m. <laughs> today and then, in the future <laughs> for all of you that listen to this podcast as soon as, as it comes as out. As it comes I mean, out, I know there are some people who Event do right. <laughs> go on to Eventbrite and sign up. Um, and also, um, well, and we'll include a link to this also that we're going to have that team, the SGO team, um, at the Bark Walk on the 23rd. Yes. So I hope to see you guys there and really looking forward to seeing With you. My two little kids yeah. in their Bark t shirts. And your love is your husband. 
my husband is going. We'll, we leave the dog right? at home because she's crazy. That's fair. <laughs> fair enough. We're gonna but you the- can bring your dog. It's very oh, dog friendly. Right. If your dog is not crazy, bring the dog. There you go. Wonderful. Well, thank you well, so thank much, Thank you Sarah. so much for having yeah, me. Awesome. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. (laughs) Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.